0: You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Food & Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. Today we're going to start off with a recipe from smittenkitchen.com. This one for spaghetti pie with pecorino and black pepper. If you didn't have a Nona to do so when you were a wee lucky thing, it's more than likely that Marcella Hazan was the person who introduced you to the concept of spaghetti frittata, a cozy mess of leftover spaghetti, scrambled egg, some butter, parsley, and a fistful of Parmesan, cooked in a skillet and cut into wedges. It's unfancy food at its best, as should be no surprise from the woman who was very distressed by complicated chef's recipes wondering, Why not make it simple? So when I first saw Food & Wine's Cacio a Pepe Pasta Pie on Pinterest earlier this month, as one does, my first thought was, oh, so impossible to achieve outside a food styling studio pretty. Because, I mean, look at it. Followed by, wait, that's not Cacio a Pepe, a Roman dish with exactly three ingredients. Pecorino, black pepper, and spaghetti, usually fresh, Tonarelli, and if you can forgive me for being pedantic, definitely no cheddar. Followed by wouldn't all of that egg custard leak from my springform? The answer is yes and woe is e- my oven floor. And then I wonder what Marcella Hazan would have thought of this. Would she have been distraught by the springform, perturbed by the use of three types of cheese, shaking her head over the finish under the broiler? Well, if she's anything like the rest of us, I think she'd be too busy enjoying it to ask such questions because this dish, which I'd liken to the halfway point between a spaghetti frittata and spaghetti quiche, is spectacular. I made it on a whim a couple weeks ago because that's my thing these days, and even though my peeling wood veneer kitchen counter is the furthest cry from a photography studio, it was a total stunner and while this is, is unequivocally comfort food, pasta, eggs, and a glorious amount of cheese, there's something about eating it in tall wedges with a green salad that felt almost civilized. Humble food raised to its most centerpiece-worthy calling, and all from just a handful of ingredients. We're going to be making this a lot this winter, I can tell. Here's the recipe, spaghetti pie with pecorino and black pepper adapted from Justin Chappelle at Food & Wine. This pie plays off the flavors of classic Cacio e Pepe. Those flavors will be delightfully the strongest but of course I fiddled with it a little. The first time I made it with 8 ounces each of Pecorino, Romano and Fontina because though I love cheddar I just couldn't. And The second time I made with less of each, which was a mistake, And because I've become that person, the kind of person that needs to see some green before I can allow something to become a regular meal, I added about a cup of blanched and finely chopped broccoli rabe, which was not. That said, while we enjoyed our green flex spaghetti wedges, we'd agreed we'd have liked it just as much with the greens on the side, preferably in a garlicky and pepper flake sauteed heap. Here's a few important cooking notes. You must wrap your spring form tightly in foil, or you and your oven floor will end up in a very bad mood. Please, and I beg here, cook your pasta until it's good two minutes from done, as it will continue cooking in the oven, and mushy pasta makes me sad. The greens here are optional, see above, but keep in mind that if you add them, you want to do your best to remove every drop of moisture and anticipate that it will take longer to set. Finally, to me, good-age pecorino, usually sold with a black rind, makes all the difference here in providing a salty, funky kick. You can use Parmesan if it's all you've got, but you might find that you need more salt if you do. You'll need butter for greasing the springform, one-half pound of broccoli rabe, toughest stem saved for another use, <sighs> chopped into few inch segments, it's optional, one pound of dried spaghetti, one-and-a-half cups milk, three large eggs, lightly beaten, two to three teaspoons of ground black pepper, two to three teaspoons of, or excuse me, two teaspoons of coarse or kosher salt, eight ounces of aged pecorino cheese, finely grated and divided, and eight ounces of fontina cheese, grated and divided. You're going to heat your oven to 425 degrees, butter a nine-inch springform pan, and this is very important, wrap the outside of the spring form, focusing on the places where the ring meets the base tightly in aluminum foil and then set aside. Bring a large pot of well salted water to a boil and if using broccoli rabe, add it to the pot and boil for one to two minutes until it has some give. And then fish it out with a large slotted spoon and drain it well and set aside. Add spaghetti to boiling water and cook until, this is also important, two minutes shy of done. So very al dente as the spaghetti will continue cooking in the oven. Drain well and let it cool slightly. If using broccoli rabe, um, wring all the extra moisture out of it and blot greens on paper towels to be extra careful. Mince the rabe into very small bits. You'll have about one cup total. In a large bowl, whisk the eggs and the milk together with salt and pepper. Stir in all but one-half cup of each and chopped raw if you're using. Add spaghetti and toss to coat. Pour into prepared springform and sprinkle remaining cheese on top. Bake for 35 to 40 minutes without greens and up to 15 minutes more with greens as they add moisture too until the cheese is melted and bubbling and a knife inserted into the center of the pie and turned slightly will not release any loose egg batter into the center. If the top of your pie browns too quickly before the center is set, cover it with foil for the remaining cooking time. Turn on your oven's broiler and broil the pie a few inches from the heat for two to three minutes until browned on top. Cut along the springform ring to loosen then remove the ring run a spatula underneath the pie to loosen the base and slide onto a serving plate and cut into wedges. Next recipe from smittenkitchen.com is for my favorite buttermilk biscuits. Sometimes the simplest recipes are the best. I won't lie, I generally feel, being a Jewish kid from suburban New Jersey, about the least qualified person on earth to talk about biscuits. My grandmother didn't make biscuits, I am almost certainly the first person in my family to keep my fridge regularly stocked with buttermilk. And Growing up, our breakfast breads were a rotation of Thomas English muffins, bagels, and maybe corn, blueberry, or bran muffin. So it's not like I have a deep well of biscuit nostalgia to tap into when I decide on a whim that with our mornings slicked with heavy snow, what we really need is freshly baked biscuits. Odds are, however, you make your biscuits you're making them wrong. Either the flour isn't right, all-purpose when it should be white lily or cake flour or something equally delicate. The leavener is unacceptable. It's commercial baking powder instead of homemade blend of baking soda and cream of tartar. Or you choose the wrong fat, shortening instead of lard, lard instead of shortening, butter instead of shortening, or lard you pulsed your fat into the flour instead of rubbed or you beat instead of rolled or you dropped instead of cut or you used a cookie cutter gasp instead of a juice glass i'm totally cool with this i make my biscuits wrong too even by my own standards there's a general formula i associate with most biscuit recipes roughly two cups of flour to five tablespoons of fat and one cup of milk or sometimes two and a quarter cups to six tablespoons and three quarters cup. But despite my every effort to love the results of this formula above all else, I failed and reverted to a random version I've been making from a diner in Colorado that I found in Bon Appetit in 2000, (laughs) nearly as far from known biscuit country as one can roam. Its formula with two leaveners, buttermilk instead of milk, and a much higher proportion of butter isn't even close to the classic and it's not even a little sorry because they are awesome. I mean every time I make them I too am confused as to how I became someone who knew my way around a biscuit. It's not in my bones, it's not in my history yet, and it's just so it must be this recipe which is the best part and that means they can be yours this weekend too. Here's the recipe for my favorite buttermilk biscuits Adapted from Dotstaner in Boulder via Bonapetite. I shared these on the site way back in its youth in 2007, but I'd adapted them as chive biscuits and it was buried in a post without any photos of their deliciousness. They never got the spotlight that they deserved. These can be adapted in a lot of ways. You can use unleavened cake flour for a more delicate biscuit add herbs or little grated cheese for a different flavor profile and the sugar can be dialed up or down. The original calls for one and a half tablespoons but I use as little as two teaspoons when I want a savory biscuit. You can make your own buttermilk like so and there's a link at smittenkitchen.com or whisk together yogurt or sour cream and milk for a similar effect. They can be dropped from a spoon or cut into shapes. The original recipe has a larger yield, 12 standard, but for our weekend needs, I've taken to scaling it to three quarters of its original volume, which will will yield six very large breakfast biscuits, think egg sandwich and then invite me over please, or nine standard ones, the kind you'd serve alongside of other things, although they will be totally unapologetically hog the spotlight. You're going to need two and a half cups of all-purpose flour, two teaspoons to one and a half tablespoons of sugar to taste, one tablespoon of baking powder, three quarters teaspoon of table salt, three quarters teaspoon of baking soda, nine tablespoons of chilled unsalted butter cut into small chunks, three quarters cup of buttermilk. You're going to heat your oven to 400 degrees Fahrenheit and cover the baking sheet with parchment paper. paper. Whisk flour, sugar, baking powder, salt and baking soda in a large wide bowl. Using fingertips or a pastry blender, work butter into dry ingredients until the mixture resembles a coarse meal. Add buttermilk and stir until large craggy clumps form. Reach hands into the bowl and knead mixture briefly until it just holds together to form the biscuit rounds. You're going to transfer your dough to a floured counter and pat out until one half to three quarters inch thick. Uh, Err on the thin side if you're uncertain as the tall ones will literally rise and then tip over like mine did as the day that I photographed these. Using a round cutter two inches for regular size biscuits or three inches for the monstrous ones shown above you're going to press straight down, twisting produces less layered sides and transfer the rounds to prepared sheet, spacing two inches apart. To make drop biscuits, you'll drop one quarter cup spoonfuls onto the baking sheet, spacing two inches apart. For both methods, you're going to bake until the biscuits are golden brown on top, about 12 to 15 minutes. Cool slightly, then serve warm with butter, jam, eggs, bacon, sausage and gravy, or any combination thereof, happy weekend. As far as doing ahead, biscuits are best freshly baked. When I want to plan ahead, I make the biscuit dough and form the individual biscuits and then I freeze them until needed. They can be baked directly from the freezer and we'll just need a couple more minutes of baking time. Next recipe, savory baked feta. This easy, cheesy appetizer from Susie Karadshay captures the sunny flavors of the Mediterranean. Susie Karadshay's debut cookbook, The Mediterranean Dish, celebrates the healthy, colorful foods of her native Egypt and its neighbors, and this veggie-packed baked feta recipe is a perfect example. A bed of red onion, bell pepper, cherry tomatoes and olives is the base for a block of creamy briny feta that becomes irresistibly tender in the oven. Fragrant oregano and thyme add another layer of flavor and guarantee that this dish will be a head turner as it makes its way from oven to table. Serve the baked feta with crostini or pita chips for a simple yet special appetizer. The ingredients are one half of a red onion, sliced one quarter inch thick, one half of a green bell pepper, cored, seeded and sliced into one quarter inch rounds, one half cup of halved cherry tomatoes, six Kalamata olives, pitted and halved, two teaspoons of dried oregano divided, two and a half teaspoons of crushed red pepper divided, this is optional, three or four fresh thyme sprigs divided, also optional, five tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil divided plus more for brushing, one eight-ounce block of feta cheese, preferably packed in brine, fresh mint leaves for garnish, optional, and crostini or pita chips for serving. Here's the directions. Step one, you're going to place a rack in center of the oven and preheat your oven to 400 degrees Fahrenheit. Next, arrange the onion, bell pepper, tomatoes, and olives in a 6 to 8 inch oven-proof broiler safe skillet or baking dish. Sprinkle with one teaspoon of oregano and if using, a big pinch of crushed red pepper and two thyme sprigs. Drizzle with about two tablespoons of oil. Next, place the feta on top, season with the remaining one teaspoon of oregano, and if using, the remaining crushed red pepper and thyme. Drizzle 2 or 3 tablespoons of oil on top and brush the sides with feta and more oil. Place the skillet in the oven. If using a baking dish, set it on a large baking sheet, this just makes it easier to handle, and place it in the oven. Bake until the cheese softens and gets a bit of color, 25 to 30 minutes. And If you'd like a little more color, run it under the broiler for 1 or 2 minutes, watching very carefully to make sure the cheese doesn't burn. Then garnish with mint if using and serve with crostini or pita chips. Our next recipe is from Goop.com, this one for green paella. Tip on this, Arborio and conaroli rice will work if you can't find bomba rice. There's a lot of rices out there. This vegetarian paella is a stunning deep green color. The green broth is made of charred poblanos and fresh parsley. Resist the temptation to stir the rice once it starts cooking and you will be rewarded with a prized crispy bottom called succorat. It's heaven. This serves four. You'll need two poblano peppers, one quarter cup of olive oil divided, four cups of chopped kale, 1 cup of chopped parsley, 1 teaspoon of onion powder, 2 cups of torn maitake mushrooms, 1 cup of bomba rice, 4 eggs, and salt and freshly ground pepper to taste. On an open flame gas burner or under a broiler you can char the poblanos, turning frequently with tongs for evenly charred skin. Remove from the heat and press press Place in a large bowl and cover immediately to help the skin separate from the flesh. After they've rested for about five minutes, gently scrape away the skin while keeping the flesh intact and then remove the stems and seeds. Chop one and leave the remaining other remaining pepper whole. Prepare the green broth. You're going to heat one tablespoon of oil in a paella pan over medium heat and add the kale, salt and pepper, stirring frequently to wilt for about three to five minutes. Remove the kale from the pan, reserve half, and add the remaining to the base of a blender with a whole poblano, parsley, three cups of water, onion powder, salt and pepper. Blend until smooth and set aside. You're going to toss the mushrooms with the remaining two tablespoons of oil to coat. Add to the paella pan over medium-high heat and deeply caramelize. This should take about 10 minutes. Then you're going to remove from the pan and set aside. Add the remaining oil and rice and slowly toast, stirring frequently until the grains are golden, about 10 minutes. Add two and a half cups of the green broth. Bring to a boil, stir in the chopped poblano and reserved kale, and reduce the heat to low. With the rice in an even layer, you're going to cook untouched and uncovered for 15 to 18 minutes. While the paella cooks, soft boil the eggs. In a medium bowl, prepare an ice water bath, and in a small pot, combine two cups of water and the four eggs. Bring to a boil and simmer for six minutes. Shock in the ice water until the eggs are completely cool and then peel. Slice each egg in half and season with salt and pepper and set aside. You're going to serve in the paella pan and garnish with the maitake mushrooms, the eggs, and the parsley. This was originally um, featured in a veggie-centric paella party menu and there's a link on Goop.com next we've got a recipe for American goulash American goulash also known as old-fashioned goulash is the perfect economical family meal the pasta cooks right in the sauce so this satisfying dish can cook in just one pot one of my favorites the active time for this is 25 minutes the total time is 30 minutes and it serves four. how we made American goulash healthy well, to help keep saturated fat in check, we use lean ground beef. Look for beef that's at least 90% lean or leaner. We reduce sodium by calling for no salt added tomato products and reduce sodium broth. And to get an added boost of fiber, we use whole meat, wheat macaroni. The mildly nutty flavor of the pasta blends in well with the big flavors from the beef, onions, and tomatoes. So, what is goulash? Originating in Hungary, goulash is a soup or stew that features potatoes and or other root vegetables, stew beef, and plenty of paprika. It cooks slowly, allowing the beef to tenderize and rich deep flavors to develop. American goulash draws inspiration from the original dish, but is less like stew and more like a one-pot meal. It features ground beef, pasta, usually macaroni, and tomatoes. Unlike the Hungarian goulash, American goulash cooks quickly, making it a great family-friendly option for weeknights. And both types of goulash feature the addition of paprika for spice and warmth. How to make American goulash ahead? You can make the entire recipe from start to finish up to two days ahead, and then store in the refrigerator and reheat before serving. The ingredients are one tablespoon of extra virgin olive oil, one and a half cups of chopped onion, one pound of lean ground beef, two large cloves of garlic minced, two teaspoons of paprika, one teaspoon of Italian seasoning, one teaspoon salt, one quarter teaspoon of ground pepper, one fourteen ounce can of no salt added diced tomatoes undrained, one eight ounce can of no salt added tomato sauce, one cup of low sodium beef or chicken broth, and one and a half a one and a quarter cups of whole wheat elbow macaroni two tablespoons of grated parmesan cheese you're gonna heat the oil in a large saucepan over medium high heat add the onion and beef cook breaking up the meat with a wooden spoon until no longer pink about five minutes you're gonna add garlic paprika, Italian seasoning salt and pepper cook stirring for about one minute Stir in the tomatoes and their juices, tomato sauce and broth bring to a boil and reduce the heat to medium low cover and cook for five minutes add macaroni and cook uncovered stirring occasionally until tender 6 to 9 minutes remove from the heat and let stand for five minutes before serving and sprinkle with Parmesan if desired we're gonna end with a recipe from goop.com for avocado tahini dip this guacamole hummus hybrid is a super savory satisfying dip you can serve it alongside your favorite crudité and some grain-free crackers. Tip on this, like guac, this can turn brown when exposed to air, so cover it tightly and use a layer of plastic wrap to protect the service. This makes about two cups. You'll need two large avocados, one quarter cup plus one tablespoon of tahini, two cloves of garlic, juice of one and a half lemons, just shy of one quarter cup, kosher salt to taste. You're going to combine the avocados, tahini, garlic, and lemon juice in a food processor. Blend for a couple of minutes until well combined and smooth. The texture should be like a thick frosting, dense and slightly fluffy at the same time. Add water a tablespoon at a time until you reach your desired consistency. Taste and salt as needed and serve with crudité or crackers. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303 786 7777.